0: <speaking in a language> Welcome to Midnight Conversations. I'm Anandanamvi Karaja. And I'm Stephen Banos.
1: Welcome, Stephen. How are you going? I am fantastic, and
0: how are you? <laughs> that fantastic seemed uh, a bit effortful as uh, <laughs> <laughs> to on your end. Uh, you read me too well. Well, uh, before we got onto the podcast, I was like, Stephen, how are you, how are you feeling? He's like, yeah, I'm feeling above average. And I was like, really? Just above average? <laughs> And so I think you've uh, elevated that status just for the podcast.
1: Yeah, oh, you're saying that I'm lying to our yeah. listeners. Uh, no, no, off to a bad never, start. Then I'm you'd sorry. you never everyone. lie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stephen was um, just to mm. put it out there. You were lifting some weights before the podcast started. I mean, granted, they mm. were I think 500 grams or a kilo, but something yeah. like that. So it's yeah, not about it's not about the size. Grams, it's about yeah. the commitment there. So well, that's get, right. Yeah, getting the blood pumping. So that was great. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> I got
1: a fitness watch recently, so I, I uh, oh, did you, you know, need to need to keep it happy.
0: Have you found That's it useful? or oh, does it give you buzzes when you're like not doing enough or when you've reached? Yeah, yeah, it does. I gave
1: me, it celebrated for me when I hit 10,000 steps today. So yeah, that nice. was, uh, 10, that 10, was my main achievement.
0: Yeah. Day, yeah. yeah, I find <laughs> 10, I know this is not the podcast on exercise, but <laughs> no, no. I, I actually find 10,000 steps is not easy to hit. Like you have mm. to put in effort. I, I th- this shows you how much I sit down in a day. I, I sat down all day and then I went out for a run for like fifteen minutes, and I was like mm. tired, so I came home. I checked my step count. I was still on like eight thousand, eight and a half thousand. So either that says I'm Damn. not running far enough, or that like I just sit down far too much in a day. But it was Maybe, crazy. Yeah, like, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. How did you reach your ten thousand goal? Give me the tips. Oh, like, I
1: went for a, went for a walk this morning, and I hit it. Oh, I got like serious? eight thousand on my in my morning walk. And then oh, how long do you go for? Like just over an hour. Ah,
0: oh, okay. Oh, yeah. sorry, uh, uh, Siri has Siri just activated there. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure if that was picked up, but uh, I think uh, Siri is always listening. It's good to know Siri is listening to the podcast and is my uh, social social companion as we talk mm. today about the effects of social deprivation on adolescent social development and mental health.
1: Well uh, done. Yes. So that is to today's it. paper. You found this one, Anidin. Were you uh,
0: Were you feeling particularly lonely when you picked this paper out? <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, we, we'd skipped a week of midnight conversations and I was, I was just feeling really sad. Looking into <laughs> this, this is what, what I'm feeling down or just look into papers on, on social deprivation. No, uh, the reason why <laughs> I, I found it interesting was because it was just a, a topic which I found uh, like relevant in the current state of. COVID. Everyone is at home. Not everyone is living with others. Sometimes they're by themselves. And I was interested to know the effects that that had on people's mental health, but also specifically in teenagers. And so I went online and I I looked up some papers and, and it led me to this paper in particular, which is a review of some of the main research that looks at social development and um, mental health w- linked with social deprivation. And the reason why this is a cool paper is it's actually a preprint. Have you heard of a preprint before, Stephen? No, I noticed that. I didn't know what mm. it meant. Explain, yeah, so, please. So a, pre- <laughs> a preprint is, uh, uh, we can just ask Siri, I'm sure uh, given that she's listening, <laughs> we could just keep her in the conversation. But uh, I, I shouldn't say her name too loud or else she'll be activated. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but um, w- what a preprint is, essentially is, During the scientific process, you know, you get your paper ready and then you submit it to a journal. The journal, there's an editor of the journal who looks and sees if your paper is appropriate, then sends your paper off to some reviewers who are people, peers in your field who um, are experts. And then they read the paper, provide some comments, send it back to the editor who edits those comments. And then that goes back to you. You respond to those comments, make changes, send it back to the editor, sends it back to the reviewer, and it just goes on and on. You're going mm-hmm. back and forth until things are ready, and then the paper is published. And this is the, it's, it's a necessary part of science, the peer review process. And it's how we get, you know, we try to keep a, a, a standard for science, and this is what helps that standard uh, happen. But preprints, what they do is they, they circumvent this process in a way by just putting the paper up online before it's undergone some sort of review process, but it allows everyone in the world to read and comment. So Mm. you're not limited by a sample selection of two reviewers who, you know, may or may not be good uh, reviewers you're, you know, open to anyone in the world who can write feedback and comments, and then you can take on board what you think is relevant and uh, improve the manuscript before submitting. So there's an advantage of your research is out there very, very quickly to everyone. And also you get a lot of feedback that comes back from the paper. So so there's so many advantages to it. And that's why we were able to find this topic, which relates specifically to adolescent uh, social deprivation for COVID-19. Like it, mm. it happened, you know, within the last few months and we we're able to find it. So That's, that's very interesting.
1: I mean, this paper does take a pretty broad overlook of the issue, right? Yeah. It just sort yeah. of discusses the context of... Um, social distancing and, and the coronavirus, and how we've mm-hmm. all been kind of more more separate, um, more isolated, yep. um, and then it sort of discusses mental health issues around it. So it doesn't really go in depth that much in terms of its, you know, like yeah, uh,
0: exactly. I mean, it's not really an ex- what we're used to in some papers of it being an experiment or a systematic review. It, this is more mm. just a broad discussion of the research in animal and human findings and, and how that can apply to, you know, adolescents currently living today. So Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. so
1: is that is that potentially a shortfall of is there a potentially a shortfall in science there where it's it's pretty slow to react to circumstances, <laughs> yeah, um, like coronavirus is is proposing a, a pretty good opportunity for scientists to like examine the brain in in a totally you know new new context, right? Mm. There are mm. so many changes to our behaviours, but is the science world able to respond quick enough to these changes to say like, oh, we're going to put out a questionnaire to
0: a thousand people now and, and and you know get some real data? Yeah, it's is it- it's a it's a great point because I think the From my perspective, like maybe some science can be reactive and quick, but from what I've seen, broadly speaking, when it comes to health issues, science is slow because the process demands it by review and and, uh, multiple experimentations over long periods of time. The best example I can think of off the top of my head is um, the use of uh, e-cigarettes or or vaping, right? When that came out, uh, people were shifting from smoking cigarettes to vaping because they thought it was healthier for for them because it didn't, um, you know, less nicotine than a cigarette and um, maybe there were more health benefits. And so people weren't sure. So policy policymakers came to scientists and said, hey, um, what do we tell people about e-cigarettes? And, you know, we were able to make some recommendations or the scientists who were in that field were able to make those recommendations. But, the you know, the depth of them, like the underlying message was, we sort of have to wait and see as well. We need to see what the effects are over time, so we have to see people who keep smoking as normal cigarettes and smoke who those who use vaping and see what the outcomes are over cross period of time of years and 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 see what the effects are so I think mm-hmm. you, you know it, it's sort of you can think of it as a pitfall of science, but also um in terms of the scientific process it's it's a necessary part of science so that we get things um I guess right in a yeah. way. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: I guess but, I guess one of the one of the um purposes of this is to help inform government decision making as exactly. well. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, so exactly. Maybe in saying that it's best to give a bit of a rundown <laughs> as yeah. To-
0: I think so. I mean, another reason why I picked this paper was um, there were some really nice key takeaway messages from the end of it. Like Mm. they talk about so many things, but they synthesized it into four key messages, which were um, physical distancing measures to contain the spread of COVID-19 virus have remove many sources of face-to-face social connection from people's lives. So this may affect people's mental health, particularly in adolescence, a period of life characterized by heightened need for peer interaction is what they argue here. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, you know, say also that adolescents' use of digital technologies and social media might mitigate some of the negative effects of social distancing, which was sort of the key takeaway from the paper. Mm. So I guess the 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 main argument that they're trying to say here is is well, what's the role of social media within uh, trying to mitigate the issues of social distancing? But I'm interested to know what are you what are your thoughts in terms of your experiences of COVID on mental health in terms of social isolation and um, mm. how how have you felt it in in your personal experience?
1: Yeah, look, I I am I think fortunate in that I've got a lot of uh, friends and family around me, so. My life hasn't really changed that much. I'm still mm-hmm. seeing my family members um in terms of technology's influence, I think it's pretty great like I've had a lot of uh like zoom meetings and and things with with friends and family a mm. little like mm. yeah online chats and playing games and stuff online with friends, which uh has been nice I probably uh <laughs> Have even like had more social interactions with with some oh, people. Oh, really? Because it's recently. more convenient
0: from the from the comfort of your couch, I guess. Ex-
1: exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's also been great seeing like my parents and like I've found like a lot of the like my uncles and aunties and the kind of the older generation have been really uh, getting the most out of these like online.
0: Oh, really? Uh, How's that? Like, like enjoying things? getting getting into the the technology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like
1: cooking classes and stuff online for each other and sharing it. It's it's really like opened up a, a lot of um social interactions that probably wouldn't have otherwise been uh, you know yeah. explored. So. Nice. Um so it's yeah, been beneficial. Most, mostly yeah, positive. Positive, yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: interesting. Um
1: have you have you had a similar experience?
0: Well, yeah, it it has been positive to a degree. I guess uh mm. what what I've I don't know whether it's been positive because I've been so hyper aware of the consequences of social isolation. So I've mm. I, i I've taken, you know, upon myself, like after I have lunch, I go for a 15-minute walk and I've started that as a habit. I'm more conscious. I'm actually exercising way more than I usually do just to get outside and do some mm. things. I'm going on, you know, spending time away from the house and away from the computer screen, going for a cycle or or a run and then getting back, you know. So I think because my freedoms have been restricted in the number of times you can go outside or people you could see back in when the restrictions were really strict. Uh, it's forced me to capitalize on it. And as a result, uh, yeah, I've, I've, it's, it's when, mm-hmm. you know, you have just a, a limited window of opportunity. I've just uh, gone for it, but I, you know, th- this is actually in my whole lifetime. This is the longest I've ever gone without seeing my parents in, in my entire wow. life. So I, and it's interesting because we've, we've tried to counteract something, you know, we're, of course we're, Messaging and we're on, you know, fa- FaceTime or you know WhatsApp or whatever it is, and and we've actually even done family Zoom chats on on weekends. So you know, every week we're we're having everyone together, catching up, seeing how things are going. But I, I find that it's it's not fully uh, hit the spot. It's not fully replaced that you know face to face interaction. And uh, I think that is, I, I wasn't sure. I was thinking whether it was a generational thing in a sense of are those because I mean this paper is arguing that adolescents who use digital technology, it does mitigate some of the Negative effects of social distancing, but is that because they've lived in a world where you know these social technologies have always been there? You know, you and I we've been around before Facebook. We've we've lived in social interactions where you know messaging systems were more you know primitive than they are now. Where, yeah. but now it's like you can have some. I mean, we're doing this podcast, you know, in our comfort of like different states. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it, so it's yeah, uh, it it has made me think about that. Um, mm.
1: Yeah. Well. We have to note that yeah we're not we're not teenagers we're not adolescents mm. anymore, mm-hmm. um, and so it targets adolescents in this paper because what they're more sensitive to social
0: deprivation is that right? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, so- I think uh, social deprivation in childhood uh, is is a big focus of study. There's actually have mm. you heard of um, Harlow or Harry Harlow? Um, no, a, f- we- a, f- a famous name in psychology, sort of infamous in a way because mm. he was. Uh, doing a lot of experiments in the 50s in monkeys. And he was looking at, uh, so he looked at social deprivation and used animal models to study depression. And so what he would do was he'd actually um, get monkeys, uh, baby monkeys, and left left them alone for six, uh, three, six, 12, or 24 months in total social deprivation. Yeah, mm. super sad. Yeah, yeah I know. It was it really, I mean, this was all done before, you know, a really important thing called ethics was introduced into science, which <laughs> is, uh, you know, this these experiments would not happen nowadays. Uh, it, it's so strict. Like, it, it, It can't happen. But when it was done back here, um, here's what Harlow wrote. I found a little excerpt of uh, what he, his viewpoint of it uh, was, no monkey has died during isolation yet. When initially removed from the total social isolation, however, they usually go into a state of depression characterized by, Uh, autistic self-clutching and rocking, one of the six monkeys isolated for three months refused to eat and after release and died five days later. So after release, Um, the autopsy report attributed death to emotional anorexia. The effects of six months of total social isolation were so devastating and debilitating that we had to get the experiment rolling, but we soon assumed initially that 12 months of isolation would not produce any additional decrement. Uh, this assumption proved to be false. Twelve months of isolation almost obliterated the animals socially, um, so it was it was crazy. And they even did things where they, you know, they they took animals away uh, from people uh, from their parents and put them back into reintroduce them to the peer group. And they found that uh, these monkeys that were socially isolated and deprived of social interaction, they when they were reintroduced, they were unsure of how to interact with others. And so they mostly stayed like separate from the group and, and, you know, distancing themselves and, and had a lot of anxiety. And so, um, it was just emphasizing the importance of social interaction, but it was some, some crazy studies that he did. Uh, and yeah. So
1: uh, does anyone know exactly why we need social interaction? Like what is it, what is it in our brain that's saying I need, I need to talk to someone now? Yeah.
0: (laughs) um, There's, there's, uh, I think that it goes a lot into maternal, uh, you know, and paternal interactions, and the idea that you know babies require this sort of support initially. I mean, in terms of neurologically, which this paper looks into a fair bit. Um, there have been studies that looked at what as uh, so like social deprivation in early childhood can do to. The development of the brain. And they found drastic reductions in areas um, which are like the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, and also um area that will sound familiar to listeners of the show, regular listeners, <laughs> the hippocampus, which is the part important in memory, but also the amygdala important in emotion regulation. Um, and so there were a lot of regions which are important for what we call higher order cognitive processing so like memory emotion thinking rationalization all these sort of things um, and these don't fully develop when there is this social isolation so mm. um it's it's really really important i think in especially at a young age and that's why they they focus specifically in this study uh, or this review of looking at you know these these adolescent teenagers um, yeah yeah
1: okay but, so now this looks at like uh mental illness as as an outcome of um social deprivation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I guess well what what is what is mental illness and what's what's the link there?
0: Th- yeah. Th- um so I mean research has shown like a lack of social networking can predispose people to mental illness. I mean, mm. it's so complex and there's so many yeah. things. Genetics are a massive component when it comes to mental illness, as, as with a lot of things in terms of, but you know, clearly the environmental influence of social networking can be important, but um, it, it can be uh, mental illness can be attributed to some social deprivation that can occur in people's lives or uh, if they feel that they don't fit within the social structure um, it can become difficult to i guess you know find that sort of rhythm to yeah uh, overcome certain difficulties or even even persevere or, or live with mental illness so so there's a lot of complexities in that, but the I think that's why there's that link because people have shown previously that social deprivation deprivation is not good for mental illness, and that's why there's many mm. studies now that are wanting to look at the effects, especially with if you think Stephen about like this year it's been crazy like. There was yeah. the bushfire, right? And then all the smoke that happened. So people were mm. inside their house. And then so, and then they had, you know, in Canberra, we had these crazy hailstorms, which caused damage everywhere. And then we had, you know, coronavirus, all, all these sort of crazy things that are happening. And it's like, the toll is not just social isolation. It's the, you know, people aren't working as much. They're, you know, I'm lucky enough, and, and you as well, we're able to work. And it's something not only to keep us busy, but allows us to interact with others as well so there's a lot of benefits we have from being active socially mm-hmm. and with work that a lot of people don't so all of these things can you know weigh in and and call you know add to mental illness so yeah it can be i mean, I mean
1: there's there's a lot of discussion around mental illness mm-hmm. now and you know like- which is great like, P- yeah uh, it, no it, it is it is but i think the understanding around it is pretty limited mm-hmm. um I mean, there's like even just there's confusion about what is sadness and then how does that transition to mental illness or like is there even a link there? Mental Mm -hmm. illness is obviously a broad term that covers a lot of, you know, different, you know, states of mind. Mm -hmm. Um, But like social isolation here would probably cause some feeling of, sadness at what point does that become a a, a mental illness
0: yeah i mean Is it could it? it could be uh I, I don't know the research in in too much mm. detail but i mean it could be a spectrum thing where you know there are different um levels or feelings of it but w- when we talk mm. about mental illness it, it could be you know anxiety depression bipolar um, there there's so many facets of it so um yeah I, i'm mm. not entirely okay. sure the- yeah it's. But I, know, I, I It's a tough I wouldn't, question. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't say that happy people are, or you know, free from mental illness as well. You know, so it yeah. it goes more philosophical to what is happiness or what is. But I, well, I think, course, yeah. yeah. But, but one yeah. thing, like uh, to give you a, like an anecdotal example, one of my friends recently had a baby, and she, you know, before this was like. In it, she was thinking about what to do once the baby was coming in, in terms of pre- preparations. She had all these mother's groups she was going to go to. She had all these, um, you know, things she wanted, activities she wanted to do as soon as the baby was born. Then coronavirus happens and then all these mother's groups, you know, transition to online and Zoom meetings. And so, and, and like, I've been teaching on Zoom, you know, since everything's happened and we've moved to uh, distance learning and it's things that I've noticed in the classroom, like it's, I'm able to maintain the classroom environment to some some degree. But one thing I've noticed is that social interaction with students. Like, in mm. a sense, um, I can't have a personal one-on-one conversation with someone without the whole class hearing. And also, in the same way, these students can't speak with one another. Because, mm. So they're just completely focused on what I'm saying. And as a result, it it can, yeah, just those, you know, general interactions that you take for granted, have, have sort of been removed in a way. So Yeah. And
1: yeah. One, one of the key points of this paper is that it's so important to get kids back into schools because they are in this period where they're particularly sensitive to social deprivation. And so putting them back in that school environment is, you know, a great way to prevent mental illness. And I mm. think that's important because a lot of teachers and just general members of the public are, are pretty annoyed at the government's, um, you know, approach to... Uh, getting kids back into schools. Um, So, you know, maybe maybe reading this paper will help you uh, accept that.
0: Yeah, you know, definitely. And and in saying that, if anyone's interested in this paper, it is a preprint. So the advantage of that, once again, is the fact mm. that it's open access, so anyone can access it. So as always, it's available in the link in our um, description of the this podcast. So just check that out if you're interested and you can have a read of it. I'd really encourage it because it's a good review of all sorts of things, animal studies, human studies. There was actually one really interesting um, uh, fact that they had about... Uh, prisoners and social deprivation in prisoners. And what they found was, uh, they looked at social deprivation, such as isolation in prison, and they found that that leads to increased distress, depression, and aggression, as well as an increased prevalence of self-harm in adults. Um, mm-hmm. And these detrimental effects were amplified in adolescent prisoners. So one study showed that being younger than 19, an assignment to solitary confinement were the two strongest predictors of self-harm in prisoners. So um, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, they go on to say that, you know, these, the nature of the studies meant that they're, they may be non-representative groups, which means that maybe it doesn't, uh, this uh, result doesn't uh, translate to all prisoners and may not be always happening. But it was interesting enough that to me that it happened in some studies. And I was like, wow, that's great. Mm. Uh, I think we're social creatures, but even whether you're an introvert, extrovert, I think so, if anything, COVID has taught us is social interaction is important.
1: Yeah. So maybe um, maybe prisoners can be given access to like Facebook or Instagram or something. Maybe that will prevent self harm.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I I don't even know what. I of course I don't know what prison life is like. But is <laughs> is, is there access to phones? I mean, I think I think that would be a, a like actually uh, the word prison sentence comes into mind when you think of teenagers with like phones taken away from them, or even like older <laughs> older generations now. It hmm. could be yeah. How would you? How would you fare in, in prison, Stephen? I feel I feel like you would. Uh, I feel like so you'd thrive. Badly. No, you don't. Really? You'd be, you'd be the guitarist in the in the corner. I mean, in saying that, as our guitarist, I mean, you 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 have promised uh, an outro to this podcast for a while. Is is that? And, uh, is no, that, I have,
1: I have, and, I, and I've and been I, uh, anticipating this haranguing of my lack <laughs> of preparation. Um, no, it's they, it's still it's still. uh in the oven I'm, mm. I'm creating it
0: mm, it's cooking it's cooking yep. just just remember Stephen you can't overcook the food so uh, just just take it out even if it's undercooked it's okay I, I, just, I just like to see how it's developing you know uh, but in saying that uh, ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us uh, today on Midnight Conversations podcast and also thank yeah. you for your feedback it helps a lot like uh, mm. Stephen and I we're working this out we're trying to get things working by distance via Zoom so when you give us feedback on whether it's the content or the audio quality or, or anything that we can change or improve, well, we really appreciate it. The, this podcast is our preprint of uh, of the world, I guess. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You um, can
1: shoot us your feedback to midnightconversationspodcast at gmail.com. You can message us on Instagram, midnightconversationspodcast. Uh, what, what am I forgetting? Twitter. 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 We're, on,
0: we're on Twitter. Yes. And as always, we're not on Facebook yet but soon, <laughs> soon enough we'll get there and uh, that is in the oven just like steven's song <laughs> <in> the episode and <laughs> didn't say that thanks very much guys thank you Stephen. after yourselves everyone yeah i'll see you next week see
1: ya